We're called into worship with these familiar words. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the lands, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. My friends, in that little prophecy, but powerful prophecy of Joel, where the birth of the church is announced, we hear these words. Yet even now, even now, whatever's going on, whatever's happened, whatever we're experiencing, yet even now, says the Lord, get this, return to me with all your heart. It doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter if we failed. It doesn't matter what someone's done to us. Return to me with all your heart. Even if it's in shattered pieces, return to me with all of your heart. With fasting, from what? Worry, doubt, fear. With weeping, bring your sorrow. With mourning, bring your grief. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Give me who you are, not what you've got, says God. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love that does not end. And God relents from punishing. Remember the good news. God came in person at our worst moment and gave us his own son, Jesus Christ, to say, I love you. Friends, tell it to the world. In Jesus Christ, we are made whole because in him and him alone, we are forgiven. Amen. We are having such a great time in these months. We've been through the the book of Romans, the compendium of Christian doctrine, and now we are in John's gospel, and we're in what's called the prologue to John's gospel. And and in these weeks, I'm going to be reading all the sections, including the one we're going to be looking at in the morning, because the prologue together is just one fantastic statement, and the pieces of it really need to be explored as we are doing Uh, in these weeks. So listen as I read God's word for us from John chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first 13 verses, but we'll be focusing on verses 10 through 13 today. In the beginning was the word. That is, in the beginning was Jesus. And the word, Jesus, was with God, and the word, Jesus, was God, is God. He was in the beginning with God. Get this. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light 
which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Now, here's the portion we want to look carefully at today. He, the light, the God of the universe, the Word, Jesus Christ, He was in the world. We can't take that too lightly. He was in the world, physically. He was here. And the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God give us understanding and the ability to live in response to this word as we listen to it today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your word full of grace and truth. Thank you for that light that the darkness cannot overcome. Send that word into our hearts right now for your glory in the fullness and the assurance of your Holy Spirit so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today we begin with perhaps the greatest irony, the greatest irony of all human history. Greatest irony. And if you remember what irony is, or even if you don't, it is a tragic flaw in the main character. Who is the main character in this globe? God has made us the main character. He's made made us just a little lower than the angels. We have a tragic flaw, and we begin with that tragic flaw today. And we miss the the greater irony if we lock this opening statement about who Jesus came for into a single time period or a single people. We We miss the irony if we think, oh, it was about those people back then or it was about Israel. Because what John is telling us is that the human race, then and now, rejected what, and more importantly, who, it needed more than anything any of us could have ever imagined. And that, too easily, happens to us today. Let's face it. We all like to get things. We all like to get things. Even the most minimalist person likes something new and shiny, and if it's not a thing, we we like ways of life. We like getting ways of life. We like being happy. We like being comfortable. In fact, more significantly, we like to get ways of feeling. That's why we acquire stuff, because it makes us feel a particular way. It's why we grope and gather, and, and, and it comes from our days as being, believe it or not, a, a neuroscientist at UCLA has done a study on this. 
The reason we acquire is because there was a time we were hunter-gatherers, and that's how we stayed alive, was going out and acquiring stuff. But I, I need to point out something. There's a thing called a refrigerator now and a garage, <laughs> and they're all both overly stocked, right? We don't need to be hunter-gatherers anymore. Uh, and and we, the reality is our hunting and gathering only frustrates us, and it makes us fat and sick unto death, even whether it's emotional or physical, because we're just gathering and hunting and gathering and hunting for more and more stuff. And we go, like Steve Martin in The Jerk, what are you doing with that water cooler you're carrying around? It doesn't make any sense, we, but we think we need it. And again, as I mentioned last week, we are sick. We are sick physically and emotionally because we are not seeking Jesus, but we are seeking our own corrupted sense of what we need. And I mean, I don't mean corrupted like, oh, we're all such bad people. Not that we're such great people, but, but we're corrupted in the sense that corruption means it's not what it was meant to be. We are seeking what we were not meant to seek. And in fact, we are seeking that which takes the place of what we really need. And that's just it. We don't know what we need until we know Jesus. That may sound simplistic, but we don't know what we need until we know Jesus. And we won't know Jesus until we have learned what it means to want nothing less or nothing else. It comes right down to that. There is perhaps nothing so sad as a gift that is so needed and yet rejected while thinking that it has been received. There is nothing so sad as something that is needed and yet rejected. The shortest story ever written was by Ernest Hemingway. Did you know that? Shortest story ever published, and I can tell it to you right now. Brand new pair of baby boots, never worn. That was it. Brand new pair of baby boots, never worn. There's nothing so sad as that which has been given and is never received, even when we think we have received it. God has sent that covering for our feet and our heads and our hearts and our bodies, but they've not been worn. And that is the tragedy. The story is told of a grandfather who gave his grandson and his new bride a Bible, a, a beautiful brand new Bible as a wedding gift. They were starting out. They had very little, as most young couples experience starting out. Many of you have been there. They thought the Bible that they were given was a rather quaint gesture. Oh, Grandpa. They weren't hostile to it. They just didn't think they had any real need for it, and so they put it up on a shelf. And like uh, most no newlyweds, they, over the years, they struggled financially. But over the years at family gatherings, Grandpa would always ask, of course, so how did you like the Bible I gave you? And the couple would politely say it was very nice, and how much they appreciated it. And a few years went by, and Grandpa died. 
And the grandson loved his grandfather very much, and he wanted to speak at his grandfather's service. They'd started a family. They were still struggling financially. But in wanting to speak at his grandfather's service, and knowing that his grandfather was a godly man, he finally reached for the Bible that his grandfather had given him, and he opened it. And inside the Bible was an inscription from his grandfather with a prayer that the young man and his wife would build their family and their lives on what God said and what God spoke. And there was a verse from Matthew 7, 7. Interesting, 7, 7, the number of perfection and completion. It says, seek and ye shall find. Love, Grandpa. And then the young man began to thumb through the Bible and he realized how literally his grandfather meant for him to understand this verse because at the beginning of every single one of the 66 books of the Bible, and this was a long, long time ago, at the beginning of every one of those books of the Bible was a crisp $100 bill. And he thought, all I have missed because I never really received what my grandfather gave me. This was back in a, in a time when $6,600 probably would have bought half or maybe even more than half of a, a new home. How much do we miss? Because our Heavenly Father says, I have something I want you to be able to receive. My friends, God came looking for us in this same way in Jesus Christ, and the world, politely or not so politely, look at the cross, not so politely, put Jesus up on a shelf. We don't need him. Again and again, Jesus said, in so many ways, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, mocking and stoning the ones who come to bring you what you need. How often, Jesus said, have I longed to gather you to myself, but you would not listen. You would not come. You would not receive. Is it possible that you and I and our whole world have done just what John describes? Have we rejected what we needed most because it's perhaps too familiar or too plain or does not seem like what we imagined would be best for us? Have we rejected it because it doesn't feel like it's going to be comfortable or the right size or shape or color? Even if it's best for everyone around us, I think so. I think so. I know it is true of my own story. I know I have rejected God's greatest gifts because I have wanted my way. And I'm quite sure I know why. I'm quite sure I know why for all of us. We do not know how to receive. We do not know how to receive. We're hunter-gatherers. We're acquirers. We're good shoppers, all right. But we do not know how to be still and receive. And I've come to see in these words we've just read about the greatest gift of all time, that we can only give as much as we allow ourselves to receive. We can only have 
as much as we let God pour into us what it is we really need. And therein is our greatest need, to know how to receive, not what we feel we need. Way too many churches, by the way, have fallen for the, the ministry to felt needs. But not what we feel we need, but what God gives in defining our need with his gift. That's what God did in Jesus Christ. He came looking for you and me on a very personal level, and he says, I want you to know what your need is, and my gift defines that need. <laughs> Once more, I find this again and again, as we look at what John is telling us, we go back to the words of a Christmas carol, and in this case, a little town of Bethlehem, and buried in the third verse, nestled in there in the last verse, we hear, how silently, how silently this wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming. But in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Are we listening? Do we want to receive God's gift? There's the key to the gospel. We need to be willing to receive what the gift is without reservation, with vulnerability and trust, and without thinking if it disappoints me, that's not much of a gift. Jesus came to his own hometown, Nazareth, and he read from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the people in Nazareth said, Hooray! Not. <laughs> what did they do? They drove him out of Nazareth and tried to throw him off a cliff for saying, I'm the one who fulfills your deepest longing. I'm the one you've been waiting for. How often do I do the same? When God sends me just what I need in the form of a painful experience. You think God just allows these things? God sends painful things. Chastening things. Refining things. That call me to drop all my stupid solutions and seek him. How often do I do that? My stupid solutions. My mother used to say, you're not dumb, so don't be stupid. <laughs> stupid comes from the word stupor. When we're stupid, we're in a stupor thinking that we have the solution. How often do we miss that because we're not open to receiving what God sends, even as a refining fire that's difficult and painful to handle, that takes away from us things that we think we just have to have. The answer is, of course, way too often. I do this way too often. I pout. I pout. And I get sick with disappointment. 
but seldom do I get down on my knees and say, Lord, this is from you. And for your purpose to take me exactly where you know I need to be. No, what do I do? I reject him the same way those newlyweds did. I put God up on a shelf and I say, well, I guess I'm going to have to handle this one myself. And I do handle it myself. And I am miserable. And it turns out horribly. Regardless of how it turns out, you know why? Because I never stopped to receive what God knew I needed. I never stopped to even begin to consider what it means to receive God's way in my life. Now, this could all seem pretty hopeless, and I know what I'm describing about happening in my life has never happened in your life, of course. It could seem pretty hopeless, except there's a P.S. Don't you love that? John says, but to all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave power. Power to become children of God. There it is. Believing is receiving. Believing is receiving. It isn't something we do. It isn't some sort of intellectual exercise. It is not some sort of moral thing before. It is simply believing that God is who he said he is and that he will be faithful and that he will give us exactly what we need. Believing is receiving. Lord, you will do it on your time and in your way. It isn't something we do. It isn't an action. It is who we are. Believing is our identity. In receiving, we come with open hands and hearts to what God wants to do in and through us, trusting that what he's going to do is exceedingly abundant, more than we could ask or think. We come with an openness to having God shape us and to define what it means to be saved and rescued by him. You see, Jesus was rejected initially because he didn't bring the deliverance his people wanted. And as I've said, we do the same until we learn that the gift of receiving comes with humility. Really? And yes, and surrender, yes, and gratitude and vulnerability to the giver who knows what we really need and what we really need is to be loved immeasurably on his terms, not our own. Dr. Dale Bruner puts it this way. He says, every believer's, remember, someone who believes in his name, every believer's new birth is a veritable virgin birth because we had nothing to do with it and neither did anyone else in the world. He gave power to become children who were of God who were born not of the blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of humanity, but from God. It's a pure gift. My friends, we live into receiving. Let me, let me share you, with you what this looks like. John Steinbeck's best friend and the model for the main character in Cannery Row was a man by the name of Ed Ricketts. He was a marine biologist. His lab is still down on Cannery Row. It sits right next to the the uh, aquarium, you can see it right there. It's a nondescript, dark wooden building. And Ed Ricketts was killed one evening as he was driving home to the 
cannery when a train struck his car. In writing about Ed's death, John Steinbeck describes what we all need to know about making room in our lives for Jesus Christ to come and work by receiving him on, our, on his terms. Steinbeck says, perhaps the most overrated virtue in our list of shoddy virtues is that of giving. Giving builds up the ego of the giver, makes him superior and higher and larger than the receiver. It is so easy to give, so exquisitely rewarding. Receiving, on the other hand, if it be done well, requires a fine balance of self-knowledge and tact and great understanding of relationships. In receiving, you cannot appear, even to yourself, better or stronger or wiser than the giver because we are not. It requires an acquaintance with ourselves and knowing who we really are, and I would add, and whose we really are. Receiving means belonging, knowing that we belong to the one who has claimed us. So to receive Jesus Christ is all this and more. It involves growing into an awareness that we don't have anything to give except to give God back who we are that he might do what needs to be done. It involves growing into an awareness of who we are as defined by his showing us what is missing in our lives and what we need in order to receive him. Abandoning self. True power comes in receiving what we have no control over because we are relying not on ourselves but upon the giver. That is not our world. Our world says it's when you have all the power, it's when you get to give and call the shots. But the, that's not the gospel. The gospel says when you're empty, then you will be full. Then the answer will truly be yours. To receive Jesus Christ is all this and more. John tells us that for those who receive, Jesus gives power to become children of God. This means that without receiving what Jesus offers in coming to us, we leave ourselves orphans. If we do not let Jesus adopt us, we leave ourselves orphans. And our world is filled with rich and not so rich orphans because they are not children of God. Now, I know it's fashionable to say, but everyone is a child of God. You know what? It's not true. God loves everyone, but to be a child of God is to know and acknowledge, to believe, to believe that apart from what God does and did in coming for us, we do not have what we really need. To be a child of God is to let ourselves be picked up and taken home by the only one who can give us a home. And way too often we reject this. Why? because it does not include what we think it needs to include. The story doesn't go the way we think it should. But to receive Jesus is to realize that Jesus is writing the story, not us. He knows how it needs to turn out and how we need to get there. He is the one who is the power, the dynamite, literally, it says. 
and becoming his child is receiving on the terms of Jesus Christ. Not what we can ever do, but receiving what he has already done in dying and rising for us. And will do in the future, in days to come. In and through us as we receive him, event by event, chapter by chapter, disappointment by disappointment, joy by joy, breath by breath, as we get to know him and make him known. Let me conclude with what it means to receive on God's terms. How do we need to receive God? How do we need to open our hearts so that that gift of who he is would come in and find us and make us new and change us and give us hope? Here's the story, true story. Bob Butler lost his legs in 1965 in a landmine explosion in Vietnam. He returned, or should have returned home, a war hero, but we all know, unfortunately, sadly, the rejection many of our Vietnam vets experienced. Bill, I take my hat off and I salute you. Thank you. But 20 years later, Bob Butler once again proved that Heroism is not something that necessarily makes the front lines. It comes from the heart. Mike, you were in Vietnam. You know what I'm talking about. Heroism comes from the heart. Bob Butler, no legs, 20 years after Vietnam, was working in his garage on a hot summer day when he heard a woman's screams coming from a nearby house. He started rolling his wheelchair toward the house but he couldn't get to the back door because the shrubbery was so thick. So he decided to climb out of his chair and crawl through the dirt and the bushes. I had to get there, he said. I had to. It didn't matter how much it hurt. When Butler, crawling through the shrubs, no legs, arrived at the back of the house, he he saw a swimming pool there. And in the bottom of the swimming pool was a three-year-old little girl lying at the bottom. She had been born without arms and had fallen into the water and was unable to swim and extricate herself from the bottom of that pool. Her mother stood over her screaming frantically. Butler, no legs, dove into the pool, brought the girl to the deck. Her face was blue. She had no pulse. She wasn't breathing. Butler immediately started administering CPR while her mother called the fire department, 911. It was a small town. She was told that the paramedics were already out on a call. She sobbed as she hugged Butler's shoulder, but Butler continued to perform CPR, and as he did, he reassured the mother, don't worry. I was her arms to get her out of the pool, It will be okay. I am now her lungs, and together we can make it. Seconds later, the little girl coughed. She regained consciousness. She started to cry. As they hugged, the mother asked Butler, how did he know? How did you know she was going to be okay? He said, ma'am, the truth is, I didn't know. 
But when my legs were blown off in the war, I was alone in a field. No one was there to help but a Vietnamese little girl. As she struggled to drag me to her village, she whispered in broken English, it okay, you can live. I'll be your legs. Together we make it. Her kind words brought hope into my soul and I wanted to do the same for your little daughter. My friends, there are times we simply cannot stand alone. There are times we need to be someone's arms or legs or lungs and there are more significantly times we need to let someone be our arms or our legs or our lungs. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends, that is exactly what John told us about Jesus. We dare not reject this because without Jesus, we and the whole world are lying at the bottom of that swimming pool and no one is there to get us out. Jesus came looking for us at our lowest state. He allowed so much more than his legs to be cut off because he loves us personally. And he alone could save us. He crawled through the dirt. He risked rejection, our rejection, to breathe into us a new life, the new life. And he gives us the power we could never get from anywhere else to live, to breathe for him. My friends, we need nothing else and nothing less. All our dreams, all of our dreams, all of our comforts that we would define are nothing compared to what we can receive by trusting that all he is, is all we need, and all we need is all he is. May this reality shine on us. May we know today what we need to receive and that that is Jesus Christ. May this light shine on all the times we have disappointment or fear that cause us to seek solutions other than Jesus Christ. And may we receive him breathing, doing that spiritual CPR into our lives so that we may do the same for someone else in Jesus' name. May we never reject, but always receive the power of getting to lift one another up in Jesus' name and say, it okay. Because Jesus has us. We make it together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, how precious it is to know the reality of your coming into this swimming pool of our world and diving to the bottom to get us. Teach us to receive this and to let go of anything less for your glory. In your precious name we pray. Whatever's going on in your life today, I hope you know that the God of the universe wants to be there for you. As we go from this place in that spirit, may we remember that we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do 
with us where we are right now. May we believe this and therefore joyfully, confidently go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and fellowship and equipping power of the Father, of God's Holy Spirit, every single step of the way.